I'm Brent Leary. I'm Paul Greenberg. It shouldn't feel weird saying your name, but since it's not Thursday at three o'clock, it does kind of feel a little weird, right? Well, you know, truthfully, other than Thursday at three o'clock, I go by a different name. That would definitely not... make it a little weird. But yeah. anyway, we are yeah. the CRM players. We're glad to be here. It's Tuesday, 1 Eastern. So just to make sure you guys know, because it's not Thursday at 3 p.m., we are the CRM players. And if you didn't know that, what are you doing listening in? I don't know, really. That, that would be a good question to ask them. All right. But we are excited to be here because is this the second year in a row or third? I, I'm i losing track of time. I, I you know, comes with age, oh, Mr. Venerable. Oh, man. Day. Really? Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, for at least a second year in a row, we are going on the road to Beggar World, and we're going to do it with the founder and CEO of Pega, Alan Treffler. He's going to be our guest in a few minutes. This is cool stuff. I I love Alan. I do. <laughs> I just, honestly, he, uh, aside from just knowing his stuff, I'm keeping it uh, PG rated, so to speak. Um, PG. Well, you are Paul Green, right? So well, that's yeah. my. That was the obvious pun in there, or <laughs> not, but I just really didn't want to say it myself. Um, he's also just got a great sense of humor. He has definitely strong opinions, and at the same time, um, he's really good at super articulate guy and the conversations are always fun and informative so you know he's just a cool guy basically but before we bring him out got to do a little housekeeping i got it right this time usually when i say that i'd say i get it mixed up like well I you say, sometimes say house cleaning <laughs> yeah that well if you've seen my house I'll do a little house you know cleaning. Why i'm saying it <laughs> i'll be yeah, anyway. I, I do a little house cleaning i'll be right back <laughs> yeah this house would need more than a little. But anyway, so let's do this. Let's pitch a few things. We're actually going to be showing up in real life in a couple of weeks. Tell me about it. Well, this is this is our first travel, actually. And uh, we are going to be doing three live episodes at Engage 22. And... You know what? We have no clue yet who our guests are going to be or what we're going to be doing exactly or uh, where we're going to be doing it from. But the one thing we do know is we will be there and we will be doing it. You know what I know? I remember slightly what it's like to make a travel arrangement now because I hadn't done one in over two years until last week. Yeah, same with well, I've done a couple, but um, it's odd. I literally still have my status with United for some reason. I'm still global services, even though I've only traveled twice, and I'll lose global services after this year because I'm not going to travel enough to keep it. But yeah. finally, I'll lose it. But I appreciate the fact they've kept me on for three years. It was good while it lasted. It's good. Yeah. All right. Another quick thing we do have a show coming up Thursday. And that guy is going to be our guest. 
Not the guy with, with you know, you know, not me. The other guy. Well, actually, you oh. guess you know, that might not be you because you're actually wearing, or he is actually wearing a Negro Leagues hat, not a Rams hat. Well, there's a little story behind this. So, of course, this is the Golden State Warriors when they won, I think, their first championship. Yes. That's this exactly picture is like seven years old. And so the gentleman that allowed me to take this picture with the trophy is Kenny Lauer. And at the time, he was, was he the VP of marketing and digital or something like that? Digital, yeah, VP of digital and marketing for the Golden State. Basically, he ran all of marketing for the Warriors. So he's going to be our guest. But the story behind what PG pointed out, the venerable Paul Greenberg, that is. <laughs> I am wearing a Negro League hat. And not a Rams hat. And there's a good explanation. There's a good reason for that. I know the story. It was 2015. This is known as the dark decade of Rams football. And it was mostly known because of that, because of one person, Jeff Fisher. The head coach at the time, he was hideous. He was terrible. I had to go incognito with my uh, Rams fandom. So I resorted to my Negro League hat collection. So that's that's why you see Well, that. there's also a story behind why actually I'm not. There's no picture of me taking that <laughs> that trophy. I, I That was that seat. Was that our first seat in Kansas City? No. Was, no, that, that was, was San Francisco, year. wasn't it? That's right. That was San Francisco. Yeah. And I didn't – I. As much as I rooted for the Warriors during their championship run, even though, but I am a, I am as dysfunctional a team as it is. I'm a Knicks <laughs> fan, and I wow. just could not take a picture with the team that wasn't the Knicks. I couldn't do it. I couldn't yeah. do it. And again, I root for Knicks. Never make the playoffs, except and when they do, they're <laughs> eliminated really fast. So the Warriors are my always my second choice, but I couldn't do it. I just could not bring myself to do it. I can't. My teams are my teams, period. I could easily do it. And it was because, well, my team growing up were the Sixers. I even was a season ticket holder. And especially double down. Dr. J was my, my childhood idol. Allen Iverson was my favorite basketball player in college. Then he got drafted by the Sixers. So I traditionally Sixers fan. But when he left... When they traded him, I was done. And then this little kid, this little scrawny kid, beat my Georgetown Hoyas in the 2008 uh, March Madness tournament. His name was Wardell Steph Curry. So I kind of went wherever he went, and he went with the Warriors. Anyway, long story short, we are glad to have Kenny Lauer be our guest this Thursday. So stay tuned for that. That's going to be great. He's he's actually a leading expert in experience and experiential design. One of the world's leading, really. And he's well beyond what his title as head of the Warriors was just an aspect of the stuff this guy can do. And he's also one of the single most influential humans I've ever met. But he will never talk wow. about that. That's just because of the way he, he's a very humble guy. It says a lot, by the way. Okay. So now... Before you do, do your roll? intro, I want to put put up this picture as you do your intro, if that makes sense. Yep. 
So here's the picture. <laughs> so we've already we've already established, and I've already sort of told you my opinion of Alan Treffler, the founder and CEO of Pegasystems. Tell you a little more though. He was a grandmaster in chefs when he was younger. And you can see that if you made a wrong move, he would eat you alive <laughs> by this picture. This picture is, and he is studying. I don't think he's just studying the pieces. I literally think he's studying the movement of the hands of the other person, whoever might be, unless that's his hand. But I, I looks more <laughs> or less, I have no clue whose hand is. It may be his hand, but his shoulders are sloping a little oddly there. So, but his 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 he is is so intense. It's frightening to see, and I'm afraid of the consequences if I make a move in chess it, with it's, him on the other side of it. It really and, looks like he's looking through the pieces in the board itself. Yeah. He's looking into the soul of the board. <laughs> it really looks like that. It's rather imposing kind of picture. You, you oh yeah. Well, even look of, at it now. It's kind of the commitment he brought to Pegasystems, really. I mean, look, I I remember Pegasystems back in the days where they were basically BPM, you know, and they were the leader in it, but they were BPM. Now you look at them; they've evolved almost flawlessly without missing a beat in the corporate narrative, so to speak to customer engagement and and they built out an engagement platform. The other thing about Pega, which is fascinating, and Alan has always been this kind of person, is the kind of vision they bring to what they do. Like, I remember them talking about empathy. In fact, I was on the stage with uh, the, Jeff Nicholson, who was then their um, global CRM head, uh, talking about empathy before empathy was like a big word out in the <laughs> in the uh, universe we inhabit. And I also remember them talking about autonomous systems and autonomous customer service and things like that long before anyone else was. And so they're a visionary company, Alan, because Alan is a visionary. He's an, obviously he has intense commitment to what he does because if you don't believe that, just Look at that put picture. up this picture. <laughs> and one of two things, you'll either believe it or you'll be frightened to death by the picture. <laughs> right? So... I, I, there's no more to say. I mean, I've already said how much I like him and how, what kind of sense of humor he has. So why don't we just, let's bring him on. Let's bring him on in real life. The one and only Alan Treffler. There you are, the man. Brent <laughs> Paul, good to see you. Right back at you, bud. You didn't you think know, I was going to bite that hand on that I, I was frightened. <laughs> when Brent showed me that picture at first, I was, I actually got like, terrified for a minute. I said, He's gonna kill me, and I wasn't even. I don't even play chess. Do you remember that picture being taken? Uh, uh, that? Candidly, candidly, I, I, I don't. I think it's a a little bit a little bit old. You know, <laughs> about about pictures. One of the greatest uh, things I'm thankful for is that, due to my age, there were very few pictures of me um, in college and such like they would be today where people are snapping and tick-tocking everything. I don't know about you, but I'm I'm just as glad that there was, you know, not an ongoing archive of, no. of various points <laughs> in my life. <laughs> not at all. I'm with you. I'm with you. I probably wouldn't be here if there was, right? 
I only no, have that no, one. No comment, Paul. No comment. Well, I have that one. I only have that one picture, which most of the industries now seen, of me in 1969 after we had seized the building at Northwestern, waiting for the police to come. And my hair is down to here, and my beard and mustache got a full, the full, wow. the full Monty. I think I'll you've bring... got to bring that up next time, Paul. <laughs> oh no, I'll bring it up right now. Said, Don't worry about oh, that. But... I'm not bringing up the 80s high top fade. I can't even do it anymore, but probably a good thing because that was an ugly look. Uh, but anyway, we are on the road, the Pega, uh, Pega world. And I wanted to play this little short promo. Oh, wow. Look at that. Oh, quick one, Paul. Let's see. I'm on that. I don't have good autofocus. So yeah, the autofocus here. isn't kicking in there. Can you see it at all? I can. I can. Yeah, uh, that's what I looked like in 1969. Well, yeah. I was the head of the, I was head of SDS back then. So, Alan, do you want to break out any old pictures of yourself? <laughs> I, I, I think you're, I think you're amply armed. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I wanted to play this promo uh, leading up to Pega World because, well, I just, I'm just going to play it. Here we go. The way we're working isn't working. Across oh, devices, constant Joe. notifications, too many steps, awesome. too many systems, too little time. It's not good for people. And it's I'm too pissy now. It's not good for business. We've discovered the solutions that are meant to simplify <laughs> shit here, and I'm getting angrier and angrier. <laughs> and now like we're going to show on. you how we do it at Pega, right? So just buy some of this brilliant <laughs> Okay, can we do it go again? Sorry. <laughs> Absolutely not. That was perfect. I love that. Awesome. Joe is awesome. By the way, folks, Joe is not an actress. She's no. the real deal. That's the real deal. Joe could be in Monty Python, though. Awesome. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm quite comfortable that didn't take more than one take. <laughs> <laughs> Real spirit flowing through. Oh, right there. That was brilliant. Oh my, I no. didn't see that. Now we have to live now. The show's gotta live up to that. I feel this enormous burden <laughs> crashing down. It's all right. You're, you're, hey, I won't make this any easier on you, but you're actually a really funny guy. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes <Absolutely>. intentionally. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh how many Trying to move. How many Pega Worlds will this one be? What what number are we up to here? You know, you get to a certain point, and I think you should stop counting. You know, I, I think I, I think we'll call it twenty nine. You know, just oh so my you, god, you never, never want to hit. It's been a it's been a lot. I can remember twenty nine, and, and I, uh, I I can remember when uh, they were staggeringly different well the, you know the company's been in business 39 years oh my god you know what it didn't even occur to me that it's been that long ago. well i watched the show we did last year with alan and it he said the same thing but then he said we've had our first two company companies or customers have been with us the whole time are we still able to say that alan uh, we are, and we're able to say that the relationship is bigger and better than ever. So that's, you know, I think that's a real part of our our value system is is really 
working with organizations closely, you know, trying to make sure that our, our clients' needs are well understood, not just dropping software off, actually understanding, using what we hear from them in how we evolve um, our products and our offerings. So I'm, I'm happy to say that uh, both of them, uh, the Citibank and Bank of America, have been great clients of ours for <clears throat> terrifying, almost four decades now, which is... <laughs> wow. How do you, how, how do you as a company, because one of the things that has impressed me forever, really, has been your ability to kind of seamlessly evolve. And, th and that's actually very difficult. A lot of companies evolve, but it's not seamless, meaning there's a, a, they, they make a, let's, for example, they make a, a move to something else, but they won't account for the fact they've just been at something other than that. And consequently, customers get frightened. They want to leave because they no longer seem like they're going to be supported, things like that. But you guys, and it's been one of my constant themes about you, you guys have continually managed to keep the evolution seamless where you've gone from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, and kept the corporate narrative so that you didn't have a lot of churn. You didn't have a lot of, uh, you know, customer fear. They understood exactly what you're doing you know the thing i've referred to last year i think was the the um people from what was it lloyd's that were on stage when you did the customer when you were kind of in your customer experience evolution that led to customer engagement next and how do you how do you think about that because part of it is you're always aligning with the evolution of the market and of the you know global global requirements too how well, do you, how do you at, at that level it, 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 it takes a lot of attention to the details. You know, we're lucky that you know, Lloyd's is actually going to, Lloyd's Banking Group is going to be one of the Pega customers who's going to speak at Pega World. And they've got some great things to say about how they've really reimagined their bank and their core at the same time, not, you know, losing what they were doing that was well, you know, in the same moment that they're moving forward. You know, I think that for, for a company in the tech business, you, you see lots of good examples. Actually, you don't see many good examples. You see lots of bad examples of what companies do. You know, the tech changes enormously. And the worst thing a company can do is not, is to not always be looking for where the tech is going, what the changes are. You know, in, in the course of our lifetime in Pega, you know, we've seen the world go from, uh, you know, character-based IBM mainframes and deck vaxes to, you know, mini computers to, to, you know, PC networks, to client server, to, you know, I could ramble on for another, you know, five minutes. And all of those technologies had elements that you can learn from, but also each one of them successively had elements that held them back. What we've always tried to do is figure out how do you look at where technology is going and find a way to really ride that wave, but at the same time, use the concept of model-driven architecture, use the concept you know, that's now referred to as low code to make it so that the business intent is captured in a way that we can change our tech, but that business intent, that, that hard work that drives our clients' businesses can come along on that journey <clears throat> with us, even if the tech itself is as radically different as our tech is every typically every you know handful of years 
So, okay, okay, go ahead, Brent. I know you had something you were going to say. No, <clears throat> you mentioned, you know, no code, low cold, and code. I think I said no cold, <laughs> low code, no code. Um, of course, that was a hot thing last year. It's carried over to this year. You said last year, and I'm kind of paraphrasing because I don't know the 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 direct actual, but paraphrasing. I think you said that if this no code, low code thing isn't done the right way, it'll just end up turning into the latest Lotus notes or something to that effect. Um, so we're a year into this thing now. Are you seeing it go the right way or the Lotus code way? Lotus, Lotus well, notes. well, look, I actually think we're a couple <laughs> years in and I'm seeing a shocking number of uh, Lotus Notes type cautionary tales hmm. where, you know, people, and, and some of it is what is the purpose of what you're trying to do, right? What is the goal uh, that, 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 that people have? If, if somebody wants to do kind of a standalone little system for half a dozen people in the corner to use to do something better about their work, there are lots of good ways to do that. And there's probably no consequence to doing it in uh, a, a way that you might change your mind on three years later and say, yeah, you know, time to replace that. But on the other hand, if you're building something that's going to touch an organization's customers, or that's going to potentially have a large number of users, or it's going to become one of the mission critical systems, you need to make sure that that's able to grow with the business. Because otherwise, what ends up happening is people get to a certain point, they get up to a point, they get up to a point, they get up to a point, and then they get stuck. And then can't keep up with change. Or, you know, another common problem we see that we've done a tremendous amount of work to design around and prevent is an organization will say, yeah, I want to provide better service in some area. So I'm going to start in the call center. I'm going to put a great call center system in, or I'm going to create a great chat bot. Or, or maybe I'm going to start to add better functionality onto my website. If they start doing that with a low code or any system and embedding that business logic into those channels, then they're intrinsically creating a problem when a customer wants to move from one channel to another channel. And customers want to do that. That's, that's what the present is for and the future is for organizations that are, are multi-channel companies. I'm seeing lots of, you know, phase ones that were kind of successful, but not scalable to the next levels of what an organization needs because they don't have the right architecture built into it. So, all right. So given that, well, I, I'm going to get to an even bigger question though, because, you know, with here we are, depending on who you are. I mean, I, I'm not one of these people who believes the pandemic's over, but apparently a lot of people do. Um, and the only well, I just I just got my second booster, so yeah. I thought it was. I thought it we all all three of us did, and just did literally. <laughs> yeah. We a little, a little, literally a little sore still, but not bad. When did you get it? Saturday. I, I got Sunday, and uh, so, okay, we got ours Saturday. Yeah, no big, no big deal, no big reactions, all good. Right. Yeah, 
good. Well, so, but the one conversation that gets, has gotten, let's call it, totally distorted in the midst of all of this has been the discussion around digital transformation. Um, and the other day I was reading from this, I call it CX person, um, the worst definition of digital transformation I ever have seen, which was, you know, everything's being done by tech. And that's literally how she defined it. Um, it was that, well, I should say that's the exact wording, but that is the content of how she defined it. Meaning she didn't take into account things like culture change, you know, or changing the literal business rules and processes, the business models, the, you know, didn't take any of that into account. Just said, you know, enable it all with tech is the way she defined it. It was a horrible definition. Literally, I've never seen one worse. Um, now, the funny thing is when I looked at, oh, I've kind of followed, I, I did this prior to the show. I kind of looked at your definitions, you know, Peggy's definitions over the years, or last few years of digital transformation. You've always taken into account business models and culture as part of it and that technology plays a role, but isn't the only thing involved. Now, you're a tech company. So... How did you come to the conclusion in the course of your looking at this that it does involve the bigger aspects of how a business runs? Where did you, how did you, you managed to maintain that through the pandemic where a lot of other companies kind of fell for this horrible equivalent of horrible definition? Well, you know, I think that um, we've always been sensitive that a business transformation is a transformation of the business. It's not a transformation of swapping out one tech versus another. I, you know, I think one of the advantages of having been around a while is we've seen tech changes happen and we've seen where they've really, you know, manifested themselves in great successes and where they just other times just changed out underlying, you know, kit, underlying technology. And you need to understand that businesses ultimately are about people. And it's about their customer relationships. It's about their partners. It's about their internal relationships. And if you're going to transform the business, it better be about empowering the people of that business to, well, look at all the stresses that people in businesses are under today. I mean, the biggest drivers, I think, at this instant for digital transformation is not just that there's new cool tech out there, though there is. I think it's that businesses have staff who have been under enormous stress and and really are in many cases stretched through a a, a, a a breaking point those staff are exhibiting less and less affiliation and loyalty those staff are subject to enormous personal inflation in terms of what's happening to their budgets and what they need to do those staff are also getting visibility to a very discontinuous job market where the the job increase the raises and in some cases the opportunities uh, suddenly are coming out and having an enormous uh, you know destabilizing effect on the businesses and as businesses go to hire they struggle to be able to find the talent they need and also to reconcile the talent they're getting with the teams they have. That's something that any growing business, a growing business like ours, it's something that we, we all wrestle with. All of these, I think, can be addressed by digital transformation. But digital transformation will not replace 
the need for worrying about each one of those things. It simply provides additional capabilities and vehicles for an organization to now make its staff's jobs easier. How do you reduce stress? You, you give the team better tools. How do you handle the fact that you know turnover may be higher? You make it easier to onboard because your systems are smarter. How do you make it so the staff doesn't feel as overworked? You use the capabilities of digital transformation to include the end clients more directly in the processes and in the engagement. But if you're going to do that, you better have great client engagement. That client engagement better actually be engaging. So I think digital transformation is a, is a tool for, for uh, capable management teams to use to go after some of the very specific problems that are, I think, you know, hitting business in waves and will continue hitting business in waves for the foreseeable future. So you just mentioned earlier in this conversation, Pega is in its 39th year. So next year it'll be 40 years. I think you mentioned. I, I, may, just, I just may, I may, I may Brent just refuse and start saying things like, you know, uh, 30, 39 once removed. <laughs> or, or, or. Okay. So Pega has been in business 39 years once removed, maybe next year or so. Maybe, yeah. uh, and I believe last year you said that your family restoration business would be celebrating a hundred years this year or something. It like did. That. It did a hundred years. Oh my and Lord. This is a small family business. This is a business that um, is in uh, Newton, Massachusetts. And if you ever break anything, it's considered one of the finest restorers of porcelain, crystal, small paintings, small pieces really? of furniture uh, in the world. It's got- uh, they ship? I'm sorry? Do they ship? Yeah, very care you ship carefully. Right. in transit, we can fix it, but it's good I not literally may have story. something for you. <laughs> no. So I said all that because you've been in business, your family's been in business for a century. Given all that you just talked about, is this the most challenging business climate that you face personally as a CEO and you know working in family business over that time? Well, you know, I I I, I think that this will be the most challenging business climate for, um, frankly, for many people that they will have ever seen, and I think the business climate will be shocking for many, many people. But, you know, having been around a long time, I've seen some other traumas as well. You know, I've seen, for example, up close and personal, uh, the bubble explode, which was pretty traumatic for lots of businesses um, in, in the technology space. Yeah. And I don't think we're in um, a completely analogous situation, but we're not in a completely dissimilar one either. There's, there are there are lots of lots of, of comparables there. I also can remember, though I was pretty young, when you know inflation hit the mid-teens, mm. right? And I don't think people understand what that actually means in terms of destabilizing an economy. So I would not say that this is this is a this is a 
uh, challenging time. And I think, it, I think it affects directly what all businesses, ourselves included, but also our clients. It really, really affects how we want to think about the next 12, 18 months. I mean, when businesses get under stress, and this was true for the understress, other understress type areas, um, the businesses start very rationally saying, you know, figuring out how to grow revenue is hard, but figuring out how to become more cost effective is more controlled. And so you do see, and, and, you know, we've been anticipating a shift more from the parts of our business that say sell, sell, sell to the parts of our business that say, all right, let's make sure we're operating in a prudent, highly effective way. And we see that outside. We see that as something we need to do as well. You know, the other thing, though, that I think is critical is customer engagement. You can't at the same time that you're doing that take your eye off the client engagement ball. Because if you do that, then the business can the business can completely fall apart. You can yep. you can get the worst of all possible worlds. So I, I believe client engagement is right at the heart of of dealing with some of these paradoxical changes. And you know that's why we feel pretty excited about the types of digital transformation we're plugged into. You know, we're not simply moving stuff to the cloud. We're changing the ways that businesses operate. Well, you know, the the other thing with you guys, which is <clears throat> noticeable, and you know, there was a few years ago. Um, you know, I, I I know you remember, but many, many let's say in the early part of this century, uh, meaning from maybe two thousand five on. I was involved with Peg. I would come to Peg World. I moderated that keynote panel with Rob and a couple other people on it at the time. Probably, I might add, Paul. I think it was just like. No, I remember our conversation after, actually. It stuck with me forever, really. It did. Because <laughs> I know both of us commented on how we don't like moderating panels. <laughs> I still remember that. But it was, I loved the panel, actually, because I, well, Rob and I, to be honest, had conspired beforehand. Right. I, I, cause I've known Rob a long time. And so we actually kind of worked out a game plan in terms of getting out and sussing out some things. And some you, of it you, had to be, you mean preparation? That's an excuse. Yeah, I'm not known for that. <laughs> I'm not known for that. Um, so let's just say conversation that led to some events occurring on stage. Um, so, uh, but then there was a period where I kind of lost track. It was probably, three-year period, four years maybe. And there was another company I had a, not quite the same relationship to, but I had also lost track. And I, I made a decision to revive my, actively activate my interest again, deeply activate in the two companies. I'm not mentioning the other one, as you'll see why in a second. Pega was definitely the one that has, let's say, lived up to my expectations, which were you know, very high and I've continued it. The other one completely flopped. I mean, I, they were okay for a couple of years then they completely went off course. They sank in the ocean as far as I'm concerned, uh, as far as making so many mistakes, it was like unfathomable. So of course, and you know, it's interesting because, um, there, they were a large, a bit larger than you. Um, in a somewhat different area, you wouldn't directly compete with them, but, but you, it would be overlaps at times, but, um, but 
they had no reason to fail, but they did. You had no reason to fail and you succeeded, you know, at actually accomplishing a lot. And one of the things I noticed you've done is you've always had sort of this really interesting, I'll call it uh, media strategy. Really? I mean, you understood something which I don't know. I don't know if you consciously think of this, I, but it happens to occur with things like the simple thing you did with Joe, the fact that uh, that just that run-up ad you just showed us, the fact that you produced a physical magazine in a time where everything else was digital, digitally going on, where you've had sort of, um, let's call it, uh, a, you surprise a lot of people with some of the things you're doing, which I think are really excellent. Um, but here's the thing. So I'm of the mind that the problem, you know, you hear constantly the trope actually is, the whole idea of these strategies is to separate signal from noise. And I actually don't think that's the right idea. I think that the idea is you have to, it's, there's a lot of good stuff going on out there and you're actually, it's much harder to do. You're actually separating signal from signal and that's really hard. And you have to be very distinctly different in order and very distinctly, well, you have to be able to distinguish yourself extremely well, I should say. Um, in order to do that, because separating from signal to noise, it's a problem and there's no question, but it's doable. I mean, you know, noise is noise and signal is signal, but separating signal from signal is much harder. And unfortunately, uh, all the companies are trying to separate signal from noise and actually developing signal. So you're separating signal from signal. And the thing is, you guys have managed to do that to, I don't, again, not consciously, because I'm pretty much the only one I know saying signal from signal. Um, right. So. Uh, but at least, let's say, um, subconsciously. Um, but uh, how how do you think about the fact that, look, you might compete and you might want to say, yeah, take that uh, competitor. But the reality is your competitors are also doing very good things. And, and a lot of them are. And, and, you know, but you still have to separate yourself from them. Not just by we have better technology. You just literally have to have a distinct corporate personality that they that your customers feel a part of how do you do that how do you think about that well i, I think actually question. because because our background is um i think pretty technically based our kind of i think intellectual positioning both internally and with our clients is we're going to find the key differentiating as you know elements that let us add somewhat or very, you know, differentiated value to what you're trying to do. So that even if you're using some of our competitors to do certain things, we're not there to, to look, we deal with very large organizations that have a massive landscape of vendors doing things. And the problem with software vendors is they all claim they can do everything, right? So, you know, they're all claiming that they can do all the different things, but we want to have elements of our products that are unique and elements of our products and the, uh, the consulting to help people use them and the partners to help people use them. We want those to be able to take the, the frankly, the most challenging parts of our clients' businesses and give them the ability to transform those. I think, you know, the place we differentiate ourselves is we don't only want to do the hardest stuff, but we take a lot of joy that we can. And I think when we do a good job for our customers, 
our customers have the confidence that we can do the hard stuff for them. And sometimes they'll let us do easier stuff. Sometimes they'll use something else for easier stuff. But you know, being able to be the, the Mack truck, as it were, you know, right. the, the thing that can do the heavy lifting, I, I think is very much in our, our cultural heritage. And even as we do try to make things uh, more accessible and easier for more people and open the aperture on, on that, we don't want to lose that, that power that I think, you know, frankly, as organizations get more complicated in this, in this post-pandemic era, as they get more complicated in this multi-cloud era, concepts that we have, like the layer cake, which let you define things. I see you smiling, Paul. Yeah. The standard things and then layer on alternatives or concepts, this revolutionary concept that we're going to be highlighting at Pedro World around the digital experience API, where we can plug in to screens from other vendors. We can snap into Salesforce and paint lightning screens. That's their proprietary technology that are 100% native, but completely driven off of the AI decisions, the rules, the processes, the workflows that are in the core package system. That's what we call center out to be able to do that. So being able to live with a level of harmony with some of these other key decisions customers have made, but actually bring them a level of power that they otherwise wouldn't have, you know, mm -hmm. that's, that's at the heart of, I think, what differentiates Pega. And when we look at technology, that's what we ask. How, how can we make the landscape better. And frankly, there are a lot of people who are just throwing stuff over the wall at customers. And, you know, when, when recessions hit, that stuff doesn't stick to be candid. Oh, a lot of things I would, yeah. I was thinking about it. I'm going to try to stick to just one or two here. Um, what do you think when you look out at the industry and the environment that you know you just laid out? What is the industry still not getting right? It still hasn't been successful at doing, in your opinion, that you're surprised that still the industry hasn't figured this stuff out. Well, I think that there's actually um, two very, very broad sets of problems that the industry screws up all the time across multiple generations of technology. The first is this whole question of, do you build customer engagement into channels? Do you build into your website, into your mobile app, right? Into your you know, Salesforce system? Do you build business logic in there? And the answer is, they all go, well, you know, we probably shouldn't, but they all do it. And so that, that what I would describe as a, a, a lack of, of uh, seamless thinking across channels, we've been getting that wrong forever. And it's as wrong now every day as it was five years ago. And then on the back ends of the systems, we have to hook it up to other data and other sources. People, you know, we went through the phase where everybody was going to do a, you know, services oriented architecture and these big fat, you know, TIBCO, the, you know, the information bus company was going to save everything by making data all look 
identical, never work. Uh, then people were going to consolidate their 16 SAP systems down to just three or four. That never worked. Um, uh, and, and then, you know, now we've got multi-clouds. So the proliferation of different data structures, sometimes even offered by the same vendor, have just gone up explicitly in your architecture. And I would say this is a business architecture, not a technical architecture. You need a place where the channel logic lives. So it's not in the channels. And you need a place where your data logic and translation live. So you're not doing this point to point stuff or this stuff that immediately becomes technical debt. It makes it hard to add another set of data sources. I think as an industry, we've been getting that wrong for decades. And it's a major driver. Getting that right is a huge driver for PEGA. And, and frankly, one of the things we're going to be highlighting some new work on it that we're going to be showing off at PEGA World. Well, I think it goes to an interesting point too, which is there's a lot of discussion now of, you know, we went through a history of multi-channel, then we went to omni-channel, which we've been stuck at for a while. And now there's a discussion that seems to finally be occurring to go beyond that to what some people actually call channel-less, meaning no customer really gives a crap about the specific channel they're on. They're not thinking about that. They're thinking about what they want to communicate to whoever, right? And they're not saying, oh, I think I'll do that on this, or I think I'll do that on this. It's whatever happens to be convenient for them that they know they can get a hold of the person, they'll do it. That's how they're going to do it. The best possible route, I call it. But it's not the same at all as multi or omni-channel was. It's basically because the thinking of the customer is the communication, not the channel. Now, to your point, if you're concentrating all use of channel logic in one place, uh, that actually does militate toward an interestingly channel-less kind of approach, right? I mean, can you elaborate a little on that? Yeah, sure. That if you've got if you've got the ability in a brain to be able to say, hey, the channel, you're still going to have a channel. A channel is a method of interaction, right? Right, exactly. So uh, the, the channel is going to tell me what it wants to do and who's the customer. And then instead of the logic being driven in the channel, and I'll give you an example that maybe will make this resonate. The questions and the logic need to be driven from the center, from this from this thing that's connected to the how do I make the right decisions? What process am I in? Where do I get my data from? That is the that is the you know sort of the anti-channel way of organizing your business outcomes. Yeah, and you know frankly. That's what we've been building. That's what our mission has been. And I think it's really very exciting. So what, what example were you going to give? Well, an example is somebody will go and they say, oh, we want to be an awesome, flexible organization. So we're going to do everything using APIs, application programming interfaces, right? So we're going to build our mobile app with APIs. And we're going to build our desktops with APIs. And by the way, of course you want to use APIs. But then in their APIs, they start doing it, they start embedding business logic. They say, oh, if I want to be able to open a loan, I'm going to call my loan API. But to call it, 
I need the customer. I need their income level. I need 17 pieces of data around them. That stuff all gets programmed in the mobile app. So it can be called in the API. And at that point, you're screwed. Because when you do it in another channel, you're going to program it the same way. The back end changes. Suddenly, you need an 18th piece of data. Ooh. You're running all over making changes. Or even worse, what if those 17 pieces of data included five you already knew about the customer? What are you asking the customer in your logic in that front end for about things you already knew? If you reverse it, if the API is as simple as saying, I want to write a loan or I want to apply for a loan, and this is who I am. If those two things are the only things that come over in the API and the that, that center out pushes to the channel, hey, we know about this customer. We need the following four things only. Ask these four things. And the, and the mobile app or the website asks those four things. Suddenly, you're not wasting the customer's time. You're not locking yourself in to logic in the front ends. And if you make a change, that change becomes instantly visible. Basically, you're operating from what becomes, instead of unique, discrete knowledge, common knowledge. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And frankly, I, I, I hope that example resonated. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. It, it's, it's, definitely a, it's, a, <laughs> it, it's also staggeringly more effective. And in this world where it's hard to retain engineers, it requires staggeringly fewer engineers. Mm. Well, the other side is it, it, it eliminates a lot of redundancy. I mean, like a lot. Uh, it also doesn't require the channel specifically for it, meaning it will use the channel when it needs to, as opposed to the channels coming and saying, okay, we need the mobile specific version of all of this. It's saying, no, 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 no. I got the data. You, I will just use you to get it where it's got to go. Um, basically, it, it kind of turns it in the opposite direction, which is, so it, it's a hub hub to a million. The channels become the spokes, not the hubs. And that's, and that's exactly, that's the center out concept. Yeah, I like that a lot actually and it actually does really foster channelists i just when i was doing all the watch list um stuff for the past just the immediate past year i had a uh, one question was for basically for extra credit um the, give me the, your definitions as an organization of these things and one of the words of these words excuse me and one of them was channelists I wanted to see what people said. And for the first time ever, of all the submissions, there's only two or three people who said, well, either we don't believe in that or we have no definition. Everyone else had some concept of channelist, which is really actually a major move forward because most people, if this was three years ago, of the of the all the, there would have been two or three who had the definition and the most everyone else wouldn't have it would have said I don't know what you mean, right? But now they all have a definition and they're all it militates toward ultimately what you've actually developed. And, 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 and so, Paul, you're hearing it sounds like 
that terminology and that thinking becoming more visible. Oh, absolutely visible and a matter of some importance to companies. Well, right? on both practitioner and vendor side, both. Well, just just make sure to tell the practitioners where they can get it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I didn't uh, give analysts a sales pitch. There it is. <laughs> you hey. know, we're, we're, I'm I'm prepared to I'm prepared to do whatever I can to to share responsibility and with with. <laughs> hey, this is this has been really great. Probably gonna have to start wrapping it up. But before we ask you to give the pitch for why people should watch Pega World. Um, I had a couple of quick, kind of quick, quick questions. All right, one, what do you make of this Elon Musk Twitter thing? Are we, meaning just the general community of tech people, making too much of this? Does it matter? What's your take on this thing? Um, I, I think we're making uh, exactly as much out of this as Elon wants. He, he's getting the full news cycle, you know, day after day after day. Uh, and I'd say it's definitely better than 50-50 that he'll buy it. Oh, okay. I, I do think he has underestimated the amount of regulatory aggravation he will have <laughs> as a result of buying it because, you know, you got the Europeans, you got a lot of people in the U.S. It's, it's such a... Uh, highly polarized uh, environment for platforms like that. But I'd, uh, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'm on the 51, 49% yes, I would say. <laughs> okay. All right. Metaverse. Is this something that people should be focused on in the near term, in the long term at all? What you take on all this talk about the metaverse? I, I think that the key part of that phrasing is averse. <laughs> <laughs> Which didn't occur to me till you just said it. It worked. <laughs> that was awesome. And I think I think right there it's telling us exactly how we should react. <laughs> I'm, I'm leaning in your direction. <laughs> how can you add to that? That was perfect. Um, all right, one last quick hit. So Paul and I, over the course of the last year or so, we've been noticing how uh, companies in the industry, not a lot, but some, are beginning to add this kind of media layer, so to speak, to their, to what they do, or at least to attach it to what they do. Salesforce has Salesforce Plus as a streaming network of sorts. Um, HubSpot has the HubSpot podcast network. You see some other things going on. Is this something that you have been watching and, and thinking this is more of a nice to have than eventually a need to have as a company in the industry that you know is competing in, in some way with some of these other companies? I think companies are trying lots of things to get um, attention, eyeballs, whatever. I mean, the best thing I can think of that uh, that a Pega could do 
would be to, uh, you know, have me appear on things like this and have you do a, I understand you're going to do a, a, a live stream of Pega World next week. I mean, what, what would be well, finer than to have, this is, this is. <laughs> that's one of those things. Uh, what's that expression about wishing for, what is it? Oh, uh, beware of what you wish for. Beware of what you <laughs> wish for. Right, right. We're doing a watch party, which is, um, let's say this. It's, it's going to be like, watch... you're going to be like the Mannings. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at least you picked a good one, right? As opposed to the K-Rod, right, oh, which was a horrible one. No. Uh, so, uh, think, do you ever watch uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000? Uh, I, I, I have. Okay, well, it, let's say this. It's about a third of our watch party is based on that, <laughs> right? So it's, uh, it, is, it is a very blunt analyst discussion uh, of what we're hearing from all keynotes. And well, good and bad. Good and well, bad. I think you're going to have, you're gonna have a lot of good, uh, good meat to chew on there. I mean, we got, I'm just blown away, you know, with, with companies like, you know, Ford and, the UK Royal Navy and Wells Fargo and Booking.com. There's going to be there's going to be a lot of of then things to exercise those jaws, which is good. Well, see, here's the thing. That stuff's really interesting for us, but it's not what we're commenting on. That's your customers. We're commenting on what you say, what Kareem will say, what Donald say. That's what we'll become. We'll be commenting on the Pega Executive Teams this keynote. Pieces. I wonder will... if it's too late to make it all customer then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, have a, we have a lot of customers. A lot of customers. I wonder if we could maybe maybe I switch it to hundred <laughs> percent. If you pull nah. that off at the last second, we would literally cover your watch party with that. If you could pull that off in in what less than a week, right? So <laughs> that would be a, a remarkable. Nah. You guys oh, are good. If I you know. Just continue. Doing like you typically do, you'll be Look, fine. Well, it's gonna be, you know, it's it's. This is the last virtual one. We're, we're planning to go back to physical, starting next year, um, but uh, you know, it's gonna be a really good show. Here, here, there it is up on the screen. <laughs> I like that. It's two and a half hours for the total thing. I guess it's replicated. For the European audience, the next day or something like that. Yeah, for Europe and Asia, we wanted to make sure that that people didn't have to get up at absurd hours to see it. And I actually think that you know, two and a half hours gives us time to really pack in some, well, some stuff for you to chew on, as well as some reality. And uh, you know, it's about as long as we would want to subject anybody to. You know, we th we, th we think we can keep it pretty crisp and uh highly engaging and uh, you know we're going to have some cool new uh announcements around hyper automation and a, a major new partnership around cloud choice and okay. some other things that i think will also be newsworthy as well okay well we'll be right. we'll be there we'll be there in spades to cover it and um, after directly following kind of the keynote portion you know, Don will come in and join us for a, a post keynote kind of wrap up conversation. Always looking forward to speaking with him. Maybe he'll bring his guitar. Maybe he'll do a little 
little stand-up. Who knows? You never knows what you're going to get with Don. So You never do. It's always good. Yeah. That's why I smiled, by the way, when you said layer cake, because I don't have a double definition of it. Here, <laughs> here. All right, Alan, thank you so much for the time. Definitely looking awesome. forward to checking out Pega World, Inspire, Virtual. You know, always hey. enjoy talking with you guys. Be there. That's all we can say. Well, uh, <laughs> Next week. That's right. Everyone listening, be there. And when you get the clips, be there. And we will definitely be there. Wow. Bye, guys. All right, Alan. Thanks again. Thank you, sir. All right. That was cool. That was, as always, man, I just love him. He's, just, he's the best guest, man. He's just awesome. Uh, that meta metaverse, metaverse thing that he yeah. he he literally landed the perfect <laughs> that punch perfect. with that one. It was literally perfect. Averse. Got the, got the yeah, I think I know what the first clip coming from this show will be. <laughs> oh, absolutely! That was literally the might have been the best line of the year. <laughs> so, a little later today, I'll post the uh, the page. For the Pega World watch party. Yep. Starting at, well, it starts at nine, the actual Pega World. So we usually start a little earlier. So we'll probably be starting at about 8.45, do a little lead in. Then we'll watch the keynote together and in real time share our thoughts. And then after the keynote is over, directly find the keynote, not the whole two and a half hours, the keynote. Should be around 10.30 East Coast or so. Then uh, Don will join us. Don Sherman. Is he still the, the CTO? And Yes. Yeah. yeah. He's got a number of titles, but I know one of them is CTO. Don Sherman will join us, and we'll have like a, a post-game wrap-up convo, maybe get a few questions answered that may come from watching the keynote. And that'll be some good stuff. I'm looking forward to all of that next week. Me too. We'll we'll see about additional people. We don't know yet. Either way, that's yeah, how we well don't know just that goes to pre Alan's comment about preparation. It follows my answer perfectly. <laughs> We've done none, right? I'm still thinking about a verse. Oh, oh, that too. was just so the good. Best. Oh my god. <laughs> all right. I was going to say so. We'll see you next week. But wait a minute. Yeah, we'll, we'll see, see you on Thursday. Way. And 25, maybe 40, 49 hours. Yeah, but maybe some of you, maybe we'll see you tomorrow at the what? Oh, that's right. We have the EMJH. The I'd like to say East Meadow Junior High, but it's not <laughs> that. It actually stands for the even more joyous hour, the play is happy hour, 3.30 p.m. It's um, every Wednesday, 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. If you'd like to register, go to my LinkedIn page and you'll find, you'll see a, a discussion, an agonized discussion about the uh, happy hour with a registration link. Register and then uh, tomorrow, if you've registered by about 1.30, you'll get an email with the link to the actual happy hour. You want to come. It's always fun. Never know exactly where it's going to go. Yeah. And that includes us. We don't know That's, where that thing is. Especially goes. us. Yeah. So hopefully. Most of the happy hour, people seem to know a lot better than us where it's going to go. Yeah. Except Bob Fagel. Anyway. Uh, so 
So we will see you maybe tomorrow, maybe Thursday, but we want to see you sometime. And you know what? To be nice, we want, we not only want to see you, we wouldn't even mind being you. That's the nice. I'm I'm changing the uh, dynamic there. You really are, and I'm gonna put Minnie up right now. There she. Oh my God, that dog. She is it. Although we will be showcasing a new picture of Minnie on Thursday's show. You and by the way, I see this one. There it is. Bye, folks. <laughs>